0: John Chapter Thirteen, John Chapter Thirteen, and the first seventeen verses of that chapter where we read the account of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. John 13, this is God's holy word. He gives it to his people for our good. Let's give our attention to its reading. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. John 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if... You do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Imagine that a young boy, 12, 13 years old maybe, has decided that he wants to make some money over the summer and has an idea that he'll become a farmhand, help out a farmer locally. And after the first day of work, his mother asks him, uh, how did it go? And he says, it was terrible, it was terrible. Everything that I did was uh, demanding, it was tiring, it was difficult, and uh, it seemed like everything that he asked me to do was the hardest thing I had ever done. And, and I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. Everything that he's asking me to do is, is so difficult. I... I don't think I can go on, I'm even near the point of exhaustion today. The mother, quite bothered by this, says, I'll take you back for at least one more day, but I'll go with you and, uh, and I'll talk to him to make sure that he's not taking advantage of you. And so they go the next morning, early the next morning, of course, when else would you begin work on the farm? And all the things that uh, the young boy has explained to his mom that he had been asked to do, they find the farmer already at work doing many of these very same things as they arrive. And in that moment, uh, the boy realizes his foolishness. How can he uh, claim all of the things that he had been claiming? It was too difficult because, or he's being taken advantage of because uh, the farmer is doing the very same things. Can an employee... Uh, deny to do the work that is cheerfully undertaken by his or her boss. No, we see, uh, we see the logic in that, especially when someone uh, in a higher place of authority would indeed take on that very work. For our consideration today with, with this passage, as we think about the glory of Christ, we think about the work of Christ on the cross for us, can a servant deny to do the work Cheerfully undertaken by his Lord, his master, and his teacher. Consider that together as we look at this passage and make preparation for the table. We see that Jesus is rightfully Lord, but he is willfully Savior. He's rightfully Lord, but he is willfully Savior. The passage begins and it it tells us that having loved his own, he showed them the full extent of his love, or he loved them to the end. In other words, John is telling us that uh, the pinnacle of the love of Jesus Christ is about to unfold. And he is, of course, talking about uh, all of the things that are leading up to and then including the cross. But what happens in this next passage is going to be a picture of all of that. The washing of the feet operates uh, very clearly as, as a picture, as a symbol of what Jesus does for his own. In cleansing them, in washing them, in making them new. Of course, washing all of their sins Away. We read that Jesus knows all things have been put under his power. He understands this. He knows this. The Father has handed this over to him. With many of the postmodern deconstructionist type writers, there's a, a lot of obsession with the idea of power today. Power has been in the hands of some and they have oppressed. Now power needs to be shifted into hands of, the, of others and the assumption is that it's time for other people to feel the weight of oppression. As Christians, we need to understand the way that we think about these things relative to Christ, our head, our master, and our Lord. We read here that right as we read that he has knowledge of this power that he has, what does he do? That power is not used to exploit. That power is not used against others uh, in order to achieve what he wants. No, we read that Jesus assumes the appearance of a lower place. When he takes off his outer garment, what he's doing is he's he's assuming the dress of someone who comes from from lower on the hierarchy, lower on the social hierarchy. Imagine a, a businessman going into his office and at some point during the day, he takes off his dress shirt, dress shirt so that he's walking around with uh, just a white undershirt. And some people might see him and say, is, is, he, here to, is he here to clean? What is he doing? He's, he's assumed the appearance of someone lower on the chain. Jesus here has assumed the appearance of a servant. A servant would walk around without uh, the outer dress on, and Jesus has taken that off. It makes us think very clearly, of course, of Philippians 2. And that Christ him where it says that Jesus, he was in the form of God, but he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, something to exploit and use against others. But he took the form of a servant. In other words, he appeared on this earth as a human being. And when we see human beings, what do we think? They're created. And ultimately, why were we created? We were created to serve and obey our creator. Jesus takes that form, remaining fully God, and yet taking to himself human flesh, he appears as a servant. And he appears as a servant in this passage as well, as he dons the dress of a servant. So it teaches us about the way that Jesus takes and knows the power that he has. Notice that Jesus does not refuse the fact that he is teacher and Lord. We'll see it later on in the passage. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. He doesn't relinquish that place. He teaches us how he uses it. And it makes us stand in awe of him. It makes us uh, love him even more. You see, Jesus is rightfully Lord, and that does not change. But he is willfully Savior, and that's what changes us. He's rightfully Lord, that does not change. He is willfully Savior, and that is what changes us. Did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend? For this, thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end. O make me thine forever, and should I fainting be, Lord, let me never ever outlive my love for thee. We read that Jesus also has knowledge about all things. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what's appointed for him to suffer and to endure. And yet he continues to go forward with it, right? He doesn't turn back. He continues to go forward into his suffering but John tells us that there are particularly two things that Jesus knows that shape the way that he is able to embrace suffering he knows that he has come from the father and he knows that he is going to return to him and we know these same two things when we are in Christ to those who know Jesus Christ you know that you have been given your spiritual life from the father And that he has created you. And you know that when the suffering and the trials and the challenges of this life are through, you will return to him. And so just as Jesus has particularly those two things in his mind as he goes forward in his ability to endure suffering. So we too are equipped with that same knowledge. We have been given this gift from the father and we will return to him after this life. And so we too are equipped with what we need to endure suffering, for I consider that the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. He's rightfully Lord, he is willfully Savior, that changes us, that makes us stand in awe of him. We read that he calls upon his disciples to receive this act in faith. They don't know the full extent of what's going on, they don't understand what's to come the way Jesus does. But he calls them to receive this act of faith. Very embarrassing for the disciples. If Jesus would have been sitting there and he would have said to any one of them, Would you wash my feet? They would have done so. Because they understood that Jesus was above them. They would not have washed each other's feet in this instance. If Jesus would have said to Peter, Wash one of the other disciples' feet. He most likely would have said no because equals peers did not wash the feet of their peers. And so here you have that entire thing flipped on its head where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. He calls them to receive it in faith. Trust what I'm doing. You may not understand all of it. Trust it and trust me. Peter says, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus says, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. In other words, allow me to do, to do this. You must allow me to do this. You must receive it by faith. As many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus, again, does not relinquish his place of authority. He shows us how he uses it. He may have humbled himself, but he is still God alone. He is still God alone. And he calls us to love him more than we love anything. Jesus still teaches us about his commandments. If you love me, you will do as I say. You love me, you will follow me. Jesus says, Anyone who loves father, mother, sister, or brother, son, or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He may have humbled himself, but he is still God alone. It makes us say, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul and my life and my all. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die? For me. We also see, taught in this passage, that the fundamental cleansing of Christ, the forgiveness that we have in his name and through his work, is something that can never be repeated. Jesus says, you, you must receive this. I must wash you. Unless I wash you, you have no part in me. And so Peter says, well, if there's, if there's some kind of spiritual benefit to what you're actually doing for me now, then I want my hands washed and I want my, my head washed as well. I don't want you to just stop with the feet. And Jesus says, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean. In other words, Jesus is affirming for them, I have I've cleansed you. You've already had this fundamental cleansing by trusting in me and having faith in me. We who live on the other side of the cross and resurrection can look to the cross in, in, in a much more direct way than the apostles here. We've seen the work finished. We know that Jesus Christ has been crucified. We know that he has shed his blood for sinners and that he has been raised from the dead. And so... That fundamental cleansing needs never to be repeated, but there is this this memory of the work of Jesus Christ that is central to what we do. Uh, The washing of the feet, understanding that we are already cleansed, teaches us something about the practice of Christian repentance, True Christian spirituality lives and breathes in repentance. We, a humble Christian, would never hesitate to re-acknowledge his sin and to come before his God humbly, confessing his sin. And when we do that, we understand that we're already clean. Jesus Christ has already cleansed us, but there is this ongoing washing of the feet, if you will, renewing our faith and remembering what Christ has done for us. We're not, take, we're not putting our trust in the practice of repentance, but we know that the practice of repentance renews our trust in Christ. We see that Jesus or, or Judas in this passage stands as a warning to us, doesn't he? He received this washing of the feet by Jesus, but he was not fully cleansed. He may have been washed, but he was not cleansed by Christ. He partook in in this wonderful uh, event that that Jesus does in the midst of his apostles. The water touches his feet and he receives it uh, the way that others did, but he did not receive it in faith. And it reminds us, brothers and sisters, doesn't it, that God gives us a blessing like the sacrament of the supper. But the temptation of our human heart is to trust in the sacrament itself, To think that just simply by eating and drinking, we receive forgiveness. And God gives it to us, not so that we could think that, but so that we could look through the sacrament to Jesus Christ. Don't look to the supper itself. Look through the supper to Christ. He came not to give us this meal. He came to give us himself. And he gives us this meal that we might remember him. And remember him even more. So he's Lord, he's rightfully Lord, he's willfully Savior. He asks us and commands us to trust and receive his work as Lord, as master, as teacher, and yet the one who humbled himself that he might cleanse us and he teaches us and then finally in the lives that we live in Christ and by the power of the Spirit, he teaches us about the surrendered heart and the strengthened heart. He demands that we surrender our heart to him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. In other words, pay attention. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. If you do them, no servant can deny to do the work cheerfully done by his master. Jesus joyfully submitted to his Father's will. Each and every moment of his life, he lived in submission to his Father's will. He submitted and he surrendered. Jesus joyfully set aside passing worldly pleasures for heavenly gain, he denied himself. Jesus showed the infinite value of obedience. He obeyed. He submitted. He surrendered. He denied himself. He obeyed. Submission, obedience, delayed gratification. Can we really think that any of these things are beneath us if our Lord and our Master did them before us? What is the, kind, what is the shape of the life that Jesus calls us to? A life of submission. Submitting to our Father's will. Submitting to him, submitting to Christ's will. If you love me, you will do my my commandments. A life of self-denial. Look out not for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Be others-centered. Let the shape of Christ's life uh, fuel us in the doing of that. And then, to live a life that knows the infinite value of obedience, even as we look to the obedience of the Savior who has gone before us. We cannot... Trust in our own righteousness as we stand before God. We trust in the righteousness of Christ that's given to us by faith. But nevertheless, he strengthens us unto the life that he calls us. And we know, we know that the power to do so comes from the power of Christ when we surrender our hearts. The surrendered heart is the strengthened heart. The surrendered heart is the strengthened heart. Psalm 138, the day I called you answered me, and my strength of soul you increased. Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3 that the people of God in Ephesus would be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Where is the power uh, to do all these? Where does it come from? It comes from God, it comes from Christ, and it comes by the power of the Spirit. And The source of that strength is the resurrection life that God gives to us through the Spirit once again returning to Paul's thoughts in Ephesians and in chapter 1 he prays that uh, the the Ephesians would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened that they would know that they would know more things and one of the things that he wants them to know is this that they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might in other words There is a power that is given to us in faith that we might not fully know about and fully comprehend. In fact, brothers and sisters, we certainly don't know about the fullness of the power that he gives to us. So Paul says, by the Spirit, I want you to know this more and more. How do we do that? By hearing the word, by seeking the Lord, by attending to the things that he commands us. For instance, gathering around the table. But it is a resurrection power The immeasurable greatness of his power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus ascends to heaven. He sends the spirit in his stead. And what would be the power that the spirit carries with him when Christ sends him to us? It's the power of that life, that resurrection life that Christ enjoys now. So it's a life of practicing resurrection. It's a new life in Jesus Christ that we experience and live and know by faith in Christ as we are uh, commanded to submit and to surrender, to let our lives be shaped by the life of our Lord, to joyfully set aside passing worldly pleasures for heavenly gain, to know the infinite value of obedience. We understand and know that the surrendered heart is the strengthened heart. A humble heart our God has never turned away Contrition coming before him, seeking his salvation. Never once has he turned away the humble sinner. So come to Jesus Christ, trusting in him, leaning not on your own strength, trusting that he desires to nourish his people as we gather around the table. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you uh, that you would come and attend uh, to us as we seek you and as we do those things which we have been commanded knowing and understanding and trusting that you are ministering to us in these moments. Allow us to eat and drink in faith, to be believers who look to Jesus Christ and look even through the things that we're doing now to Christ, our Savior, who alone is our hope. In his name we pray, amen. So if you would go to page 151. We'll read our...